Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Yesterday, you know, sometimes I'll contemplate shooting you guys a text about with ideas as to like the theme or whatever. But uh-huh. like, I was just like, man, with all that we've got going on, like we don't really need to like premeditate much. This <laughs> we're gonna find plenty to talk about on uh, today's uh, episode. Yeah, so. You got to be careful with the old guys, though. You go like, what? What's the? What do you want to talk about today? My shoulder hurts. Oh it's yeah. Like, it- <laughs> organ recital. Yeah. <laughs> what the what? organ organ recital? That's when mom that- made that up. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I love. <laughs> Oh, people at Oregon recital. That's a good one for your mom. That's good. It's so funny because my dad, she complains about him doing his organ recital to her. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, man, you, I mean, like, it could, you know, if the shoe was on the other foot, like, you know, like w- w- you're in no position. I, I don't think I say this to her, but like, I'm like, you're in no mm-hmm. position to really like, uh, to to be exasperated with, you know, him doing something that could just as easily you know, people right. get old. They, <laughs> you know, their mm-hmm. their uh, their body's not optimum. Uh, and, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it's 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 true because I mean, one of the things I've, I've noticed about you know getting older is 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 the idea just just I mean, in little things. I mean, it can be about complaining about uh, you know my, my body and stuff. But even even just the, the the you know, there's a reason these things are classic and cliche. Is is the old, the old person you know just you know getting the ear of a younger person and just telling stories? It's like I ca- I've ca- I catch myself talking to somebody getting getting off on something with a with a clerk at the grocery store and I and I have to catch myself and realize there are people in line and I'm standing there you know I'm not holding the line up yes generally but it's like I'm you know I'm still trying to wrap up my story like it fucking matters to wrap it up you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like and and they and and they really a lot of them start when i when i was your age you know it's like, <laughs> right i've already started doing that so it's, like, it's all good <laughs> yeah well, how old how old are you i'm 37 yeah yeah you'll start you yeah i mean you're 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 heading into the you know i mean it, the midlife stuff is just fucking cliche i was just offended at how cliche it was but but it's your, your whole time your whole your whole concept of of your relationship with time changes i think when you're around 40 and one of the things that marcus aurelius one of my heroes from my stoicism says is 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 and it's very you know it 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 kind of validates my little tumbler philosophy that we're just here to polish our own stones and 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 no we're not really going to we're not really going to change the world and fix everything but but one of the things that he says in in his meditations is if you live 40 years you're going to st- just start seeing everything happen again and he talks and he talks about just that that's going the, the the patterns that repeat and it's like and and i you know and i i, I can think about that from everything from fashion that i've lived long enough to see things come come back but other things you see you know just the crap that goes on it's like it's you know it, it is kind of like an endless loop it's like to me it's about keeping ourselves moving whenever we fuck something up you, ju- you just stay there and stare at the crash way too long you know, you know that's, that's and that's also my little one about learn from the past and get the hell out of there i mean gather your shit up man and let's get let's get moving Well, it never stops, guys, does it? Um, life, uh, is, there's no way to pause on life. Um, it keeps throwing us curveballs. And lately, it's been uh, a bit of a hailstorm. I kind of mix metaphors there, but uh, shit's been real. Uh, we've been encountering challenges, and yet we've been uh, rising every day. Um, in many cases, we hit a meeting, we do a podcast, we uh, show up together on the group, 
and workshop uh, principles, uh, notions of what emotional sobriety is and how we can put it to work for us in our lives. And uh, Alan is back with us this week uh, with a ba- with a banger of a episode theme. So I'm just going to let him uh, take it from here. But before he does, I want to, you said mixed metaphor. I want to give you my best mixed metaphor that a client came up with one time. She was just distraught and hell and see if I can remember it. She said, and she, and she did not do this with humor. She just was just tears running down her face. She said, she said, uh, uh, I'm a, I'm a sinking ship stranded at sea at the end of my rope. And there's a train coming right for me. <laughs> there it's you like, go. It's, it's like, you know, and, and, and my, my beautiful therapeutic self, my, my follow-up question was, how's the train getting to the ship? You know, it's, like, <laughs> it's like one of those vehicles that Roger Moore would be piloting. In, yeah. In it's like, Bond but, but, but uh, no, we, 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 we will remember that one forever. And she, she, uh, she certainly felt it. So anyway. No, Jules Verne under the sea, Captain Nemo. That's it. All right. <laughs> Nautilus. So here's the theme for today. You know, you guys, you know, I've been talking quite openly about, you know, my, my challenges and and the struggles that have been going on, uh, my personal crisis here of late. Mm-hmm. Good news is I'm starting to get on the other side of it. I'm almost to that turn in the in that hallway, Tom. You can see the light. You can see the light over there. I see it, man. Like, I'm get I'm hearing your voice, and it's getting closer. Yeah, so, good. You know, good. That's that's the good news. I'm starting to feel that I'm taking some action, and that I'm. That I, that the grief and the anxiety, the anxiety is more than the, than the grief right now, but you know there's a lot coming up. I mean, there's a lot of changes taking place, and so I'm just trying to flow with that at this point in time. But what I was thinking about is I, I read a book a number of years ago that really moved me. Um, he's by one of my all-time uh, favorite therapists, and that's Dr. Irv Polster. Um, the, the director or co- co-director of the Gestalt Institute in San Diego when it was still operating, he and his wife, Miriam, and brilliant. They're both brilliant therapists. And I had the good fortune of seeing them and training with them for a number of years. So he wrote a book, I forgot what order, but it was probably his fifth or sixth book. And it was called Every Person's Life is Worth a Novel. Every Person's Life is Worth a Novel. And what he was saying is, is that if you really sit down and you sit with someone and they tell you their life story, it's fascinating. If you bring that kind of awe and curiosity that, Tom, I think that we've kind of honed mm-hmm. as therapists together to really listen to not just what the words are that somebody's mm-hmm. are saying, you know, their language, right. how they're communicating their story, but to experience them communicating their story and what it means to them and what they accentuate, what they, what they ignore, you know, what seems to move them, what doesn't move them. And, you know, it's so true. I mean, I've never sat and I just checked myself to make sure this is true Mm -hmm. and it's true except for maybe one client, but I've never sat with anybody that I wasn't sitting there and kind of spellbound about the journey they've been in. Mm -hmm and what it's meant to them. And then I, I, you know, recently the book that's really been resonating with me a lot is Ernie Larson's book called Destination Joy, um, which is, I think, outstanding. And what he talks about it is he says, you know, one of the things that people don't do in recovery is they don't pay attention to their own story. 
that they live their life not bringing an awareness to what their story is telling them. And he said it very clearly. He says, if you're if you're in trouble, whether you're having a personal crisis, whether some past trauma is coming up or whatever it is, he says, if you pay attention to your story, you will find in that story everything you need to know about how to deal with what's going on in your life and what's missing and what you need to start paying attention to. And so he was really emphasizing is listening to our stories and seeing what we can do to learn from them. And then when I was connecting this to emotional sobriety the other day is, oh my God, how relevant is that mm -hmm. to our journey in terms of if we're going to have emotional sobriety, is that we have to identify these patterns, these habits that we have in our life that are shaped by our whole story. It's the listening to people with respect and being interested in their, their story that actually does help to, them to, to regain or maybe gain for the first time the, the, the sense of importance of the story. It's yeah. like, I mean, I thought of it, I'm sitting in my office uh, at home right now where I have just, just, you know, a lifetime full of stuff all around me. If I, I could sit here for the next few, two hours and go through this stuff and look at this stuff and think about these things. But if one of you were here, yeah. or both of you were here and I said, let me, let me show you some stuff. And I was showing you and I was pulling this out and I was pulling that out. And I, you know, it's like, you know, here's, here's, here's that. Let me tell you about this tat, you know, it's like, it's like, I, I'm going to access so much more information just because you're in, you're you're tuning in and you're interested in. It. And that's part of what that's part of what we do as, as therapists. We show that interest and it and it it sparks theirs. My relationship with my story is um, complicated because when I was in my addiction, I was always in my cups, looking back, and just obsessed with all the. Um, the roads that led me to this uh, sorry state, you know, that I kind of hung out mm -hmm. in, uh, you know, mm -hmm. late alcoholism. And um, and so I feel like now that I'm in early recovery, I've got a few years and I'm working the program, a program. Um, I have a reluctance, I think, to kind of like to look back, to consider the the scope of everything, because I equate so much of that behavior with um with a kind of like lack of presence and a kind of obsession with um yeah the oh, road's okay. not taken yeah, and um and i and i realized that like part of presence is that you know you're you're absorbing the whole story looking at the whole story and um it I, is. but know. see that's part of the story though see patrick what i would say to you is that looking back and seeing that period is part of that novel that you've written mm -hmm. you see in in that that happened for a lot of different reasons right because you do have alcoholism and drug addiction i mean that's clear but there's also things that led you down that path and see that's that's i think the in, in you know the importance of, of being able to look at our whole story this way is to see how it's stitched together mm -hmm. it's not random see that's one of the things that i differ with a lot of the new age stuff that goes on your thoughts are random they just pop into your head I, I don't think so. I think our thoughts are a part of a kind of a, um, you know, um, quilt that we're patching together. Mm -hmm. And that we're always giving meaning to our experience and trying to put it in 
some kind of a, a form that makes sense to us. Mm -hmm. See, that's what the Gestalt psychologist before the Gestalt therapist said, mm -hmm. is you don't just perceive things as they are. You organize the perception and you give meaning to the perception that you're having. And see, that's a very powerful thing. So when I'm interacting with my life and the meaning I'm giving it to it is reflecting so much of what's going on with me. You know, you guys know I'm doing a lot of work right now and really trying to dig into use this, you know, gut wrenching pain I've been in for some value. Right. Is, you know, trying to to, you know, get as much out of this as I possibly opportunity, opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to suffer needlessly here. I want to mm -hmm. suffer with some kind of purpose in mind mm -hmm. so I can endure that suffering, which helps a lot. But one of the things that that. Dr. Miller, the, the one of the therapists I'm working with, he pointed out to me, he says, you know, because you guys heard me talk about when my, you know, father died, you know, that my life changed. Well, I really got in touch with it. It wasn't when he died. It was when he got cancer. That's when I stopped feeling safe. Because all of a sudden, this man that I saw as invulnerable. Was very vulnerable. Was, was uh God, was he vulnerable, man? This, this cancer, he was doing everything he could fight it. Now, back in 1963, you know, yeah. there were a lot of things. I mean, I think... No, it's a, it's a death sentence. That's, oh, it was you know, a death we, sentence, man. It's, it's absolutely. He's, his, I, I believe my, my grandfather found this, this clinic in Mexico that was extracting laetrile from avocado pits mm -hmm. and injecting it. And he went down to try that. It didn't do nothing. It was... You know, one of these hokey things that willing willingness to go to any links, though. Oh that's my the, that, God! That's the determination. Yep. Man. yep. You got a death sentence. You'll move heaven and earth to try to mm -hmm. to try to deal with it. But all of a sudden, what I got in touch with—that's when my sense of security yeah. just vanished. It was like up to then, my dad said had the controls for a, a force field <laughs> in his hands. Right. And then all of a sudden, the cancer hit. And he lost the controls. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He couldn't protect me anymore. He couldn't protect the family. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then when my mom walked in that day and said, your daddy died and then walked out of the room. Yeah. Nobody's going to put that force field up. Mom's not going to do it. My grandfather sure couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. So what happened? Little Alan, 11 year old mm -hmm. Alan mm -hmm. says, I'll become self-reliant. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to need anybody. I'm not going to need anything. I'm not going to want anything. Now, that was what I had to do to deal with feeling so unsafe and scared. You know, I've known Roger for what, God, almost, you know, 40 some years at this point in time. And he just gave me feedback. He says, Al, and all the time I've known you, you have never owned that you felt safe and scared, unsafe and scared. You always mm -hmm. go around like you're invulnerable and you can handle anything. Mm -hmm. And he says, my God, you're opening up a whole new part of your consciousness mm -hmm. that had been walled off. Well, shit, I want those fucking walls back sometimes, man. You know, right. God, put them back, get them up, get them up. But then what he said to me, and this was brilliant. He was, so he was doing my, he was putting together my novel for me when I had this session mm -hmm. with him. He says, self-reliance can't fill that wound. It cannot give you what your mother didn't give you. It cannot give you what you needed at the time because you're not capable of it. 
You're just not capable of it. You're 11 years old. So he says, when self-reliance starts to fail, you look for something outside of you. And he says, I believe alcoholism and drug addictions are a disease of self-reliance. Mm -hmm. That we turn to that for that personal freedom to help us feel invulnerable. So he said, your whole life, Alan, has been a test of your invulnerability. And so, you know, who joins the Marine Corps at 17? Mm -hmm. A kid trying to be invulnerable. Mm -hmm. Who volunteers for Vietnam at 18? I did. Mm -hmm. A kid trying to be invulnerable. Who drank with complete abandon for his safety? That was me. Mm -hmm. Who did shit in Vietnam that you shouldn't be doing if you want to live mm -hmm. through the war? That was me. You need somebody to walk point? I'll walk point. You, you need me to do something stupid? I'll do it. <laughs> I'll volunteer. Total lack of protection for myself. I'll tell you, you guys, that's part of my novel is now being written into the pages. And it wasn't there before, Tom. I couldn't see it, man. Well, the, the the information was there and it's the organization of what you're doing. You know, it's like it's like it's all, you know, that, that's one of the things that, you know, we keep coming back to a lot with with with, uh, with emotional sobriety and, uh, and and some of the therapy we do is is, you know, uh, basically everything, everything you're looking for, you already have. Yeah, that's, uh, what, I, that's, what, I that's, was, what, that's what Larson said, everything. Yeah, but you yeah. got to put it together, just like you're saying. Right, right. I was rereading some of awareness with of, of Anthony Demello, and one of the things he was he was saying is is that peacefulness or the or the or what he, he what Demello calls it happiness is that he says that's our nature. Children are naturally happy. It's like you know, right down the center of us is that is that calm, is that peace, is that comfort, is that safety. You know, without all the other stuff that we think we have to have for it. And it's like what we're working on is trying. And what he was saying is, you don't have to, you don't gain, you don't get something. You have to drop things, and that's what you're doing. And, you know, when people confront you with this stuff, you go like, okay, I got, I got to drop this, this illusion. I got to drop this illusion. It's like you know. And so when when your therapist says says, you know, you know, another, it makes perfect sense that you're wanting this, but it's impossible for you to, to have it. An Eleven year old can't do that. My dad, uh, my dad took care of his mom for maybe four, four years before she died of tuberculosis. And, and one of the, one of the many things that my dad said that gave me great compassion for him is he said, on the day my mother died, I don't remember anybody speaking to me. Wow. That's, I can, yeah. I can relate. Yeah. To and I thought that when you said that, I, I thought oh, oh, just that connection, I went, that's it. Cause man. yeah, I can feel that in my chest. It's like, not just my heart. It's just like, there's this, this like, Fuck. Yeah. Well, just a couple of the lessons that I've been taking from our ongoing conversations and particularly Alan's, um, the way that he talks about his experience with the VA and kind of like figuring out how to put his experiences uh, in the war in its proper place. Mm -hmm. uh, and as well as like the, you know, the trauma suffered afterwards, as well as, you know, lessons of relationship and marriage is that um the common thread with all that is that uh, and with your father as well that uh you in in a certain sense you were closing the door or you thought that you could close the door on certain experiences that you had um when in fact those experiences were absolutely kind of puppeteering you know your present circumstance right. and um i mm -hmm. uh, i i'm i have no doubt that that there is absolutely those strings 
between me and the events of my past and that I would do well to not shut the door on them or to believe that the door is, is, is shut at all. Um, mm -hmm. And then as an addendum, I would say it's a process and uh, th there's just no way around it. I am going to, <laughs> th 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 there's going to be some strings pulling on me for a while mm -hmm. and yeah. uh, it's going to take some yeah. time to disentangle from those I and to, yeah. It will Patrick and listen and, I hope if the one thing that you learn from Tom and I is you see that there, our journey continues, you know, we're still unraveling these things, man, as we go and, and, you know, we can live uh, and stay clean and sober with these unresolved issues. As long as we stay pressed up against them when they surface and start to work. That's right. With them. That's right. You can, but, but with having, having Alan and I in your life, you can you can be assured that you can live to be 70 years old and still be nuts it's like it's like <laughs> <laughs> i don't and know how sober. hopeful that nuts is but... and sober but yeah we're going to put <laughs> right nuts, but you still can be clean and sober and that helps it's... man because you're right you're right without clean and sober sober creates a whole nother shit storm. Your life story is worth something. And that's, and that's the, that's the beginning part. I mean, because so many of us have this in common, whereas even, you know, maybe even especially those of us who've been grandiose as hell at times and arrogant, it's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of blank space and empty space underneath that arrogance. And, and the idea is, you know, that's, that we need to understand. And it's hard to get that. No, no, this, my story does matter. It's a humorous thing, but I use it to, to, to demonstrate how this works is I say, even if you think you're not superstitious, say in a loud, powerful voice, everything in my life is better than it's ever been. And then notice what who speaks next in your head. And it's going to be the superstitious guy who says, oh, my fucking God, do not say that out loud. Yeah, I like that, Tom. I like that. Mm -hmm. One other thing that I realized with this invulnerability stance, he said, when you turn to the alcohol and the drugs, mm -hmm. that didn't work. Yeah, because you cannot cure the pain that was inside of you by using alcohol and drugs. It just doesn't do it. For a minute, you might feel okay, but it's a minute. Mm -hmm. He says, so when that doesn't work, he says, the next thing that everybody searches for, and sometimes it goes in the other order. Sometimes you do this before, um, and, and I think I did it before that too, is you find a woman to fall in love with. So many people have said is how we project this unfinished business on our partner, hoping that they're going to be what we need it to be okay early on in our life, right? Mm -hmm. That they're going to yep. provide that for us. Mm -hmm. That we, in, and a lot of times that hope is so deeply unconscious. We only may see little kind of snippets of it, right? Little little moments where oh, I'm wondering what that's about. That's that dependency, right? You're right, going to make right. me whole. And, and he said to me that the thing that got, he says, all of your interactions with Jess seem to have so much at stake. Mm, wow. There's so much writing on it. Mm -hmm. And oh my God, I could see that. It's because I'm just waiting for her Please, please, please make me whole. Please heal this wound. Please give me what my mother never gave me. That little boy inside is just dying to hear the right words, right? That I'll take care of you and love you no matter what. I'll make you feel safe. You know, they never came. You know, that's not her job. She can't do that. She's living her own life and got her own struggles. 
But then I got in touch with it, is that then when that doesn't happen and I get disillusioned, mm -hmm. what do I go to? Self-reliance. Mm -hmm. I withdraw in the relationship emotionally. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Kempler said something a long time ago, and it's coming back now to haunt me or really to inform me. He says, when somebody files for the divorce, they're the second person to leave the marriage, not the first. Mm. Wow. That's great. That's beautiful. And Isn't accurate. that amazing, man? And mm -hmm. I can see now, look, you know, she, I, I I'm not going to take a 100% responsibility. My sponsor, Tom McCall is saying, Alan, no, she needs, she's got to take responsibility for how she's dealing with her feelings. That's not your responsibility. Right, but, but that makes a, but it makes a point. It makes a point that makes is about your, your, yeah, it's, it's like, it isn't taking her inventory. It's, it's helping you take yours and to realize, wait a minute, I have a part in this. And, and it's like, it's like I contributed to this. And, I, and that's what we got to look at is our part. Man, and, and, you know, my quest now is I'm hoping that this work I'm doing, you know, I don't know. I, I, at this point, I doubt very much that our rec marriage is going to be reconciled. But I hope that whoever ends up in my life next, that I'm able to start to break this pattern and be able to love and be loved in the way that I really would love to before my time on this planet's over. Mm -hmm. So that's the work I'm doing now, you guys. And that's mm -hmm. how, how my story, how my novel, mm -hmm. and my, mm -hmm. my sponsor keeps telling me, man, he says, Alan, he gave me an affirmation. I think I read it to you guys at one point. He says one of the lines in the affirmation is, oh, yeah. my amazing life is not over. That's great. My amazing I, life is not over. It's still being written. Well, yeah. between last week's podcast and this one, um, I had a birthday, five years sober. Um, yeah. and Whoa, years, baby. Yeah. And what I'll say about my I think novel, you can stop referring to you always as early recovery. I, yeah, I, don't know how to, I don't have to measure that, but, yeah. but I think, you know, I think, I think you're moving into have a bit of a, don't, don't let's go to your head, but I think you have more of a veteran status now at this point. Well, yeah, it's yeah. like my first baby tooth is kind of like punctured the gum now. And, um, <laughs> yeah. um, but, but what I'll say, and I, and I want to ask you yours, Tom, but I think like a theme is start in recovery, in physical sobriety, in nascent, nascent mm -hmm. emotional sobriety a theme is finally starting to emerge mm -hmm. in my novel. And I think it has to do with service and creativity and connection and re relationship to other people, mm -hmm. which, which were all three things that um, were completely diminished by my addiction over a mm -hmm. couple decades. And I think that the, the, along those threads is where, you know, the meaning of my life and kind of like the, the, the business of my life is going to progress but I'm just at the beginning because I, I put those things on hold when I, um, when I fell into uh, the alcoholism, into the drugs and other obsessive behaviors. But um, yeah, that's yeah. me. That's my story. Um, wh wh how would you define yours at this point in time, Tom? What, what would you, what you got, you reminded me of is, is one of the things I say sometimes in my trainings is that um I talk about how I became, I'm, it's, a, it's a complete accident that I'm a, a therapist. I didn't mean to do this. I just woke up in my life and was a therapist. The accidental and, therapist. And, yeah, I am. And it's like, cause I was going to, I was going to write the great American novel and I was going to be, a, you know, which I don't know it really exists as the rich and famous poet, but, uh, but all, all of those things, but, but, um, 
it's one of the things I'll, you know, I tell a story about my, I was into alcoholism. I was the director of an alcohol and drug treatment center when my wife uh, confronted me and said, you know, you're going to have to either get sober now or, or, uh, or move out. It's, it's like, so, you know, it, so I was treating by day, drinking by night. And, um, what I what I what I tell people is I I think I mu if if there's such a thing as reincarnation I must have been so fucked up for so many lifetimes that the that the committee up there just said okay look why don't we make him a therapist and uh -huh. just and and just leave him just let him sit in therapy all the time it's like just let him and maybe maybe something something will catch on and so. I, you know, and I think that that's, that's a, I can tell the story in that way. And, and I put down, I wrote down when you start saying theme, I thought, okay, I'm going to write the, the, the first thing that comes to my mind. And I wrote a theme for my life, as I understand it, at 69 years of age is be a better person and have some fun along the way. Ah, uh, nice. It's that, it's that simple. It's like, it's because my place, the thing I have, and emotional sobriety has been doing that, and and uh, and I almost think emotional sobriety, in, in my experience, with, with as far as I've studied this, is very is synonymous with with uh, the philosophy yeah. of stoicism. It's like it's like, and what stoicism has taught me is is that my job is, as Marcus Aurelius said, repeats again and again, my job is to get up every day and be the best version of myself I can possibly be if, to myself and to the world around me, and that's it. That's my fucking job, and and it's like if I'm doing that every single day and i'm not doing it perfectly but if i'm improving working on that then that's then that's a beautiful thing and um and i and i do not I, this is one of the themes that I, I i think i i think i do a good job of sharing it with other people through my life is that that you know that having fun is is not just a recreational thing to do after you've done all your homework you know you, you know, you, Alan, you and I, part of our early re relationship was, was, was just before COVID shut us all down, we were talking about getting on the road together and doing workshops because we both did, we both traveled and did workshops and we liked doing the workshops, but, but we didn't like doing it by ourselves. And, 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 and what we, we, what we both came to in one conversation was, was, okay, well, it's clear that it's clear that if we do these things together, we're, we're each going to make a little bit less money. And we, we were both saying, fuck it, this is going to be so much more fun. And the journey will continue here on the Emotional Sobriety Podcast. Mm -hmm. And we look forward to getting back in a rhythm here now that I'm getting my feet back under me and can show up and have something to offer you guys. It was, uh, I was on life support here for a while. So I'm coming off. I'm coming off. All well, right. Let me just say, I have no rhythm. Yeah, you have the most you got the I'm, most rhythm for a white guy i have ever seen i have i have i have the rhythm of steve <laughs> martin in the jerk what i want That's to say <laughs> well alan you know i uh and tom as well like you're fortunate and I'm, I'm i'm fortunate too uh to have you in this position where even as you go through crises you have a lot to teach us and a lot to share and through the kind of like vulnerability with the, the about the pain that you're feeling um, I feel like it really invites the rest of us in to kind of like explore our own stuff and yeah. uh, to expand our, you know, consciousness of what it all is. And um, yeah, and let I me think say it's... one more thing about that before yeah. we go. Roger was sharing with me mm -hmm. that when he was seeing Nathaniel Brandon, that he lost his wife in a very traumatic way. 
um i think she had epilepsy and she had a, a stroke when she was swimming and she drowned mm. and he came home and found her in the pool yeah. that, and she was dead and he love of his life i mean he was crazy about this woman mm. he said he brought that vulnerability with him to all of his sessions mm. he would cry about it and then and and then after he, and i've been experiencing this too because you guys know how open i've been about it with most people mm-hmm. i'm not 100 percent open with mm-hmm. it there's some clients that you know, I don't have that kind of relationship with, mm-hmm. but it's been remarkable to me, first of all, how generous my clients are, mm-hmm. how every yeah. one of them have been willing to say how much they care about me and, and support me and love me. And it's, it's really interesting mm-hmm. to open that up and see that that can be part of the therapy process too. Absolutely. It's Being really human. I just want to thank everyone for all the support. Mm-hmm. You guys and you guys you know especially but it, everyone else out there thank you so much it means the world to me tinge your life tinge your myth cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with then we glass in hand and children on one knee bring some stories bring your stories back to me It ain't a crime to be a human Never be ashamed to be yourself Rest assured that whatever you're doing Will entertain me like nobody else So here's to us, my old friends Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me.